want to welcome everyone here today at LifeSpring Bible Church and welcome all those that are viewing our live broadcasts or our recorded broadcasts. Um, I have learned the hard way that I need to announce that the live broadcast is on September 20th. This is our noon service and it's approximately 1230 and we're starting to teach the Word of God. This way, when people look at our um, webpage and look at our broadcast on Facebook, they know what day we preach this. So that helps. Amen. You know, we have really endeavored to become more so now than ever in the history of the church, a church of prayer. I mean, my wife is, uh, is praying with the women, and uh, we pray every opportunity we get. Amen? And uh, we're just going to keep that up but because we believe that it's the thing that's going to change the direction. And I talk a lot about the direction of the church because if God changes the direction of the church, if the Holy Ghost falls once again on the church, then it becomes undeniable to the lost and dying world that something's different. Something has changed, amen? And so constantly we teach and we preach the Word of God in a way that helps us to refocus on those things in the life. One of the amazing things that God led me to this week was the subject of figs because Jesus addresses the subject of figs in the four Gospels. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of what I call jog around in the four Gospels because leading up to the time of Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem, there were a couple of parables. There were some parables that were given. There was an analogy about figs and a fig tree that was given. And there was the clearing of the temple. And here's what I'm going to reveal to you right up front. Spoiler alert. Everything that unfolded leading up to and right after Jesus Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem, they're all linked. Now you say, well, of course they were all linked. Jesus is about to die on the cross for our sins. How many of you know that Jesus is capable of multitasking and addressing more than one subject at a time with his life, amen, and with his teachings? So we're going to talk a little bit about figs. I want you to keep in mind that both Matthew and Mark tell an interesting and curious story about Jesus and a fig tree. This story carries a powerful message, even if it's not immediately seen. To really understand the significance of this story, we need to dig into the background a bit. Jesus has just uh, entered Jerusalem. And he's going to cleanse the temple. You remember that story? He's going to cleanse the temple, which will push his relationship with the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees past the point of no return. And the gospel writers want to ensure that we interpret the fig tree incident in light of Jesus driving the money changers out of the temple. They are definitely linked. They're definitely linked. Matthew places the story of the fig tree right after the cleansing of the temple, but Mark frames it differently. Mark wants to ensure that his readers understand why the cursing of the fig tree is such a critical image. So he bookmarks Jesus clearing the temple with a fig tree story. Turning your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 11, 
verses 12 through 14. We're going to read together. We're going to we're going to jog around in the four Gospels together. And my hope and prayer is that uh, you can keep up with us. We're going to try to post uh, the important points on the overhead. The first point that before we read the passage of Scripture, there's two things I want to do. We want to begin to refocus already. Amen? Focus. The fig tree and the temple. And before I read Mark 11, 12 through 14, let's pray one more time. Father... I want to thank you today for your presence. I want to thank you for your anointing. I want to thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for blessing me. I say humbly as a speaker and as a conduit of your word and prayerfully your spirit. I thank you, Father, for the preparation of the hearts of your people. Thank you, Father, for tilling the soil of our hearts. Thank you for allowing the seed of your word to be buried uh, appropriately in the soil of our hearts. And may we water it with prayer, Father, and watch over it and nurture it, Father, uh, with the help of your spirit that a mighty harvest of your word would come forth in our lives. And everybody said, Amen. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seen in the distance a fig tree in leaf. That's an important phrase. A fig tree in leaf. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So Mark tells us that this wasn't the season that anyone should be expecting figs, but the tree's leaves suggested that this tree would have fruit. So why would Jesus curse a tree for not having fruit when it's not even in season? We need to pay attention to that. To answer this question, Mark wedges the temple narrative into a fig tree story. In Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, it says... On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it? And it says in the English Standard Version, a den of robbers. But in the King James Version, what does it say? Den of thieves, right? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. So... When the topic of the temple cleansing comes up, we tend to focus on the words den of robbers or den of thieves, do we not? The assumption that we face was that Jesus was angry that the people were being financially exploited by those selling doves and exchanging money, and that is true. But it's only part of the story. But if we walk away thinking that this is the only thing that Jesus was trying to reform, we're going to miss a very important point. These same people that Jesus had turned the tables on, 
They would be back up and selling again within hours after Jesus left the premises. Jesus was announcing prophetic judgment on the temple and its purpose. He knows that not only will temple practices not be corrected, but the temple is also going to be destroyed. And he later explains to the disciples in Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Our next focus Now, we're really going to focus in on these den of robbers. Focus on the den of robbers. In the cleansing of the temple, Jesus quotes Jeremiah chapter 7. In this passage, Jeremiah challenges the Israelites' view of the temple. The mindset that Israel had adopted was that the temple's sacrificial system covered all of their iniquities. Jeremiah chapter 7 verses 9 through 11 says... Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. That's from Jeremiah. Amen? When Jeremiah uses the term den of robbers, he isn't saying that the temple is where the theft is taking place. Listen to me now. I'm going to read that again. When Jeremiah uses the term den of robbers, he isn't saying that the temple is where the theft is taking place. On the contrary, he's saying that it's the site where the robbers go to shield themselves from the consequences of their behavior. But God's house is the wrong place to go for that. You can't run from God anywhere, especially in his house. They think that their their den is their refuge, their refuge. The whole sacrificial system was being used To remove guilt from actions that Israel had no intention of amending or changing. Does that sound like the church in America today has suffered from apathy and sin? Amen? That's why we talk about the church repenting, the church changing, the church reforming. That's when the world began to see a difference. So the whole sacrificial system was being used to remove guilt from actions that Israel had no intention of changing. From the very beginning, Israel was to be a city on a hill that drew the nations to God. And at one time, America was that type of place. When the Lord first called Abraham, he told the patriarch in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. But instead of turning the temple into a house of prayer for all nations, it had become a cover for their wickedness, 
where they could escape God's judgment in their thinking. The money changing in the temple was only a symptom of a much larger problem and God was pronouncing judgment on the entire system. And if you think that isn't happening today, I don't know if you're awake this morning. Mark wants us to understand the significance of the temple cleansing by using a fig tree story. As soon as the temple narrative is over, Mark wraps up the cursing of the fig tree in Mark chapter 11, verses 20 and 21. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Let's change our focus. Next step, Israel. Israel, initially in our message today, we're focusing on Israel as God's fig tree. This isn't the first time the scripture has used fig trees as symbols for Israel. In fact, it was often done in an attempt to communicate something very severe. In Hosea chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, they have sunk deep into corruption. As in the days of Gibeah, God will remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on a fig tree. But when they came to Baal Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. God's words through Hosea are very reminiscent of the fig tree incident referred to in the book of Mark. God sees young Israel as a young fig tree full of fruit, but they don't live up to their promise. And the prophet Jeremiah, whom Jesus quotes as he cleanses the temple, has this to say about God's coming judgment. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13, I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree, and their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken from them. Jeremiah's words are being played out on a real fig tree in the nation of Israel as the kingdom of God was being opened to every nation and his spirit poured out on everyone who would come to him. Next focus. It's all about bearing fruit. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he reinforced the importance of being productive. To do so, he uses fruitfulness to illustrate his point. After the cleansing of the temple, the Pharisees challenged Jesus' authority, and he responds by telling them the parable of the tenants. In this parable, Israel is represented by a vineyard which is being poorly cared for by the tenants, which represents Israel's rebellious establishment or religious establishment. After beating and abusing the landowner's servants, the prophets, the landowner sends his heir, Jesus, and the tenants choose to kill him. The crux of Jesus' parable lies in these words from Matthew chapter 21. In verse 43, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. 
This reinforces the fig tree's message. God expects the trees he plants to produce fruit. I'm going to say it again. God expects the trees he plants to produce fruit. The body of Christ in America, that's where we started to go wrong. The day that we ceased to produce fruit. Next focus, the parable of the unfruitful fig tree. Jesus further fortifies this message with a parable about a man, and believe it or not, his fig tree. In Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Luke 13, 6 through 9. Then he told this parable. A man had a what? A fig tree. Amen. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit and pay very close attention to what this passage says because it describes America today. The church in America. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he came to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. One more year. Give it another chance. God is the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. Amen? Amen? So the keeper of the vineyard intervened. He interceded for this fig tree that the owner of the vineyard had just pronounced judgment on. And that's what you got to keep in mind. We're either going to recover in great revival, amen, or this thing's going to be over. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you need to pay attention. And if that scares you, maybe you should be scared, amen. And if you're not scared, maybe I'm not doing my job, amen. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. He'll tend to it, amen. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Man, that is a powerful passage of Scripture for us today. Amen? So what do we know now? We know that the landowner is a patient man. Amen? He's a patient man. For years, the fig tree has taken up valuable real estate in his vineyard. It's used up nutrients and taken up the attention of the caretaker. But after years of not producing fruit, the landowner is ready to replace the fig tree with something that will actually produce. Do you think if God would not reject his own people because they rejected him and that we got to come in and we got to partake of salvation, how much more will God judge us than he judged Israel? Amen? His chosen people. But after years of not producing fruit, the landowner is ready to replace the fig tree with something that will actually produce. Why waste the soil on a tree that will not bear fruit? The caretaker asked the landowner for one more year. He will pay special attention to the tree and give it one more opportunity to create fruit. If it doesn't produce in that year, the caretaker promises to cut it down. The whole parable drives home the point that God expects a certain amount of fruitfulness, not apathy. He has patience, 
But his restraint is intended to lead to repentance. That's why he's patient with us. He wants it to lead to repentance, not laziness. Not spiritual laziness. Amen? Eventually, he will pass judgment on uh, that. Uh, and, and that's what's about to happen to Israel. Jesus is passing judgment on Israel in Matthew, in the four Gospels. Uh, during this period of time, and he's about to go give his life on the cross for us so that we would know salvation. Amen? Let's change our focus. Minding our fruitfulness. The expectation of fruitfulness is not limited to Israel. Amen? Jesus expects his followers today to bear fruit as well. He explains this in one of his final dialogues with the disciples before the crucifixion in John Chapter 15, the first four verses. Notice these words keep coming up. Fruit, vines, trees, figs, and on and on. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit they don't get left alone, amen? He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already, you're already clean because the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So in this analogy... Jesus' followers are fruit-bearing branches, and that's what we're supposed to be, amen? Fruit-bearing branches. So, I highlighted the next three lines. You've got to listen carefully. As we stay connected to Jesus, the vine, we're empowered to be productive, a condition that we cannot manufacture on our own. We can do nothing aside from Jesus Christ. Amen? Meanwhile, the Father is at work pruning us so that we can become even more fruitful. Amen? The very fact that God puts so much energy into increasing our yield really drives home the importance of fruitfulness. We really enjoyed listening to David Platt talk about the things that Christianity looks like. We need to be doing the things that the Word of God says this is what Christians do. Not so that we can earn anything, but so that our lives line up with what the Word says Christians' lives look like. Well, if you're not producing fruit, you don't look like a child of God. And there's the danger of looking somewhat like a child of God, but still having no fruit. The, the parable that we read that we started this message off with implies that the tree looked like it could produce fruit, but it didn't. Amen? The Lord reiterates the critical nature of remaining attached to him so that we can bear fruit. And then he restates the lesson of the fig tree. Branches that can't produce fruit are eliminated. I can't butter that up. I can't make it look pretty. I can't say it in a way that might make you feel better. You know, it's something that we better pay attention to. 
Only preachers that want to tickle ears would mess with that, that truth right there. And try to butter it down, try to water it down, try to make you feel better about your life. I'm here, if it makes you uncomfortable, then fine. Just get uncomfortable. I get uncomfortable every day. You know, it wouldn't do me any good to my wife, you know, when she thinks about her mother. Honey, don't cry, don't cry. Because she married a crybaby. I'm a crybaby. <laughs> I mean, these things touch my heart, and I cannot help but weep. You know, my heart, if my heart is a pastor's heart, then I'm going to be constantly concerned about all the sheep in my life, all of them, and what's happening with them, and what's going on. And, and if, if you need once in a while to be made uncomfortable, I'm not trying. I, I, really, I can't condemn anybody. I can't convict anybody. But the Word of God can convict. Amen? In the end, fruitfulness is essential because that's how we show we're genuinely disciples of the master. In the end, fruitfulness is essential because that's how we show we're genuinely disciples of the master. And that's got, you got to ask that question to yourself today. Am I genuinely a disciple of Jesus Christ? I can talk all day long. I can even pray a lot about what, what do I want as your pastor of Life Spring Bible Church to be known as? A place of discipleship. A place where people can come, hear the word of God, amen? Let, let it get down on the inside. Let it change their lives. Let, let God draw people closer to him so that he can teach them by his spirit, amen? Teach them through his word and speak to them. If you're living your life totally and completely disconnected from the leading of the spirit of God in your life, Think how much better it could be if the God of the universe and you had this relationship where you talk to each other, you know, you're, you're led by him. And, and once again, God keeps telling me, say it over and over again, you can talk to him about anything because he knows everything. You think you hide anything from him? We don't. Next focus, the emphasis Jesus chooses. The emphasis Jesus chooses. As we've seen, the disciples notice that the tree Jesus cursed has withered. Instead of explaining why, Jesus does not explain why. Listen, instead of explaining why or elaborating on the object lesson, Jesus tells them this powerful message in Mark. As my computer jumps in the book of Mark, chapter 11, verses 22 through 26. You got to pay close attention to this because he does not really address. He doesn't really address that tree so much as he moves them to a more important message. Mark 11, 22 through 26. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Jesus addressing that thing about forgiveness, that's, that's powerful because it sounds like to me that 
What stands in the way of God delivering us from many different sins is this sin of walking in unforgiveness. How can you expect God to forgive you when you walk in unforgiveness towards others? But I, I digress. I got three takeaways from this message today. After pointing out that the tree is withered, Jesus encourages disciples to do these three things. They, they ask about the fig tree, but he doesn't directly address the fig tree, does he? <clears throat> there are three things that Jesus says they need to do that we need to do today right in the face of a pandemic, right in the face of, of all the chaos that's going on and, and all of the things that you see on TV. You know, that, that's just a bunch of junk. This uh, is what we need to be focusing on, the book, amen? It's the only way you're going to have peace that passes all understanding in the face of all this craziness. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the church is going to enjoy revival, but the world's just going to get crazier. And the only chance it stands is the church starts getting it right, amen? So I, let, let, me just, let me just slow down a little bit. It's early yet. It's early yet, right? Listen to me, Mark eleven twenty two through twenty six. Now, now let's 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 back up just a little bit. Instead of explaining why or elaborating on the object lesson of the fig tree, he tells them something in, that that moves them away from focusing on the dead figs on a tree, right? Mark eleven twenty two through twenty six. Jesus says in response to their question, "Have faith." In God, Jesus answered, truly I tell you, if anyone, if anyone says to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. So, so what's the first takeaway? The first takeaway is Jesus says, and listen to this, have outrageous faith. Isn't that what Jesus said? Have outrageous faith. And I'm telling you, I pray about that every day. I want to have in the face of all of this stuff that's going on so that I can continue to encourage the body of Christ. Let's move forward. Let's, no, I don't like mass. No, I don't like when they do their shutdowns and that stuff and that we got to do church. I don't like any of that stuff. But I still need with my pastor's heart to be encouraging. Amen? Need to be strong in the word. Need to be strong in the spirit. Need to be strong in prayer. And I need to lead, right? How in the world do you do that? And this is what God says. First of all, have outrageous faith. In the face of all that's going on, have outrageous faith. That's what he said, have faith in God. Now, and it wasn't just have a tiny bit of faith. This is outrageous. Let's go outrageous. Let's go big because Jesus goes big. Amen? Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. So, number one, takeaway. Have outrageous faith. Number two. Therefore, tell, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, and what do we talk about all the time now? Prayer. Amen. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So, first point, have outrageous faith. Second point, pray bold prayers. Amen? Pray. Isn't that what Jesus said? 
We can take his advice, right? Even if you can't take mine, you can take his. Amen? Jesus said, have outrageous faith to pray bold prayers. And then the next one. And when you stand praying, say that with me. And when you stand praying, do it again. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins also. So the first point was have outrageous faith. That's what Jesus said. Amen. I'm just paraphrasing. Two, pray bold prayers. That's what Jesus said, right? Now listen to the third thing. I'm, I, I am using different words to put the point across. But he says, practice courageous forgiveness. Practice courageous forgiveness. Have outrageous faith. Pray bold prayers. And practice courageous forgiveness. And by doing this, they'll remain connected to the vine and empowered to bear much fruit. As Jesus was fond of pointing out, you can tell a lot about a tree from its fruit. Amen? Amen? So, you know, I, I've read that passage of Scripture for years and Listen, hey, just be, it's just us here, right? I mean, there's people listening, but think about this with me. Think about this with me. God, through Christ, tells us that, that we can believe him for big things, right? But how many of you believe that there's been times in your life that you ask God for something, you know, and you're, you know, working on exercising faith, and, and you did not get what you were asking for, but you understood later. You were asking for something that was very much out of the will of God. All right? And he protected you. He watched over you. He kept you. Now, there are times when, when he'll give you what you're asking for if you're persistent, even when it's not good for you because you just won't let up. You know, a good example of that is here was the nation of Israel the only nation in the world at the time that was being led by God himself. They did not have a king. And they made up their minds that they, by jinkies, wanted a king. You remember the story. And God told the prophet, go and tell them that if they want a king and I give them a king, this is what the king's going to do. He's going to turn their sons into soldiers. He'll turn their daughters into servants. And he'll take of their crops. He'll tax them. He'll do this. They, all these things that governments do to run nations. Does that make sense? Right? And, and so God was warning them, if you get a king, he's going to treat your people like all the other kings of the world treat them, their people. He went back and told them, you know what they said? Yeah, that's it. That's what we want. They said, and how it must have hurt the heart of God to hear these words. Yes, we want to be like the other nations of the world. They rejected the, lead, the personal leadership that God was willing to provide to trade it for the leadership of a man. And it was disastrous. But here's something I want you to know. How would you like to, how would you like to pray something one day that is bold, amen, it, that you can exercise outrageous faith on and you can pray boldly. I'm going to give you a prayer request this morning. That if we could just flush every other prayer request, this one, it, it, you're going to say, Father, meet this prayer request. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is the will of God. So you can exercise all the faith in it you want. And you can be as confident as is humanly possible in the fact that God wants to answer the prayer.
Amen? Pray for an, for an outrageous and magnificent and mighty harvest of lost souls in this world. Now, God, he's going to hear that prayer. If you've ever, you know, wondered, can I pray a prayer that God will hear? You can pray for the lost. Even Jesus himself prayed that the Father would send, you know, workers into the field that's white and ready unto harvest. The, the, there's low-hanging fruit. There's lots of it. I mean, there's a lot of people that need Jesus, but you know, a lot of us are going to have to come out of our shell. As you prayed that prayer, God's going to want to use you to save the lost. Amen? It means you've got to open your mouth. It means you got, we have been so content. We've been happy. We've been content for a long time. That's apathy, by the way. It's a form of apathy, which is a sin. Amen? I mean, to ignore as a child of God, I'm not talking about the unsaved, to ignore the desires of Father. Amen? You know, I'm telling you, you can say whatever you want about, you know, uh, my son Isaac, or my, my son. I, that's what I like to call him, my son Isaac. My son-in-law Isaac. We were talking the other day, and we were talking about this subject, and he said, you know, there are kids that grow up in homes where they're, they're just, they're rebellious, they, they fight their mother and their father and, and their grandparents even and just fight everyone in authority. They don't want to uh, do and comply with what is required of them and what is requested of them. But then one day they want something. And they go to those that they're supposed to have been in authority of and they get angry because they don't get what they want. The problem lies in the fact that the parents really shouldn't, really shouldn't, amen, give a blessing to a rebellious child because it only reinforces, enforces their, reinforces their rebellion. You know, I can be as good as good can be and go to the Lord, and he may still tell me no, and that's okay. That's all right. I can live with that, you know, because being good didn't earn me that thing. I can't earn anything from Father. But I guarantee you if I'm living in rebellion, God cannot bless my rebellion. That's why God could not continue to, and I'm t I say it outright, I, I, I'm not going to debate with anybody, I'm not arguing with anybody. I'm here to tell you that the blessings on the church in America ceased when God stopped getting what he wanted. Now, I don't, I, I can tell you, even in what they call the 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they call them silent years. God was still working. God was still doing. I don't care what's been going on in this world. There have always been pockets where people have listened to God. They have obeyed God, and they've had their socks blessed off, spiritually speaking. Amen? I don't care anything about being rich in this world. I don't care about being rich. I'm rich already. Amen? I'm rich already. You know? But what I do care about is the, the lost and the dying, the direction of the church, the strength of the family. Amen? The teaching of the Word of God in this country. You know? And the stands that we absolutely must take. Amen? Well, 
You know, I once had a person tell me in, in the church, somebody got upset with me about something. And so I went to them, you know, I'm going to talk with them. I want to see if I can't fix what's going on. And um, they didn't really want to be addressed. Does that make sense to you? Um, so I said, well, if there's anything that I can change that God would help me change, what, he goes, here's what he said to me. He said, well, you know, you, your biggest problem is you can make something funny out of anything. I said, that's not true. Because if I could make something funny out of anything, I'd do it for a living. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'd do it for a living. But I can't. he goes, see, see that's funny. You, I said, that, do you understand that very seldom will people look you in the eye and tell you what's actually going on? That, that's a fact, right? But you know what? We need to look God. We need to look to God, and we need to be blatantly honest with him. We need to let him fix things. Amen? It breaks my heart that we cannot end our services the way I like to end services. You know, and we were moving in that direction. We're going to move in that direction again. It's all about prayer. You know, if, we, if I preach to you on Sunday and you hear a good sermon and you go home and you forget it, you don't act on it. You know how you act on it? You hit your knees first. You got to go find a place to pray this afternoon. Talk to God about it. Ask God to burn the message on your heart. Amen. And, and you know what? Do you know, I, I can't stand up here and teach you every detail of what you need to do now to respond to this message. You just need to listen to God. And when he touches your heart, and, and here's the thing. There's many times we can say, I'm not certain what he wants me to do. But you know, that's not always true. Most of the time, we know exactly what he wants us to do. We're just scared, or we're apprehensive, or we don't want to pay the price. That man who offered to save that fig tree in that one vineyard, that over the next year, it was going to take a lot of work, a lot of effort to line up with where everything needed to be so the figs would grow on that tree. Well, so what are we going to do? I'm going to pray for you again. Amen? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to just dismiss you. I want you to fellowship together, but don't forget. You know, if you forget, you can go back and listen to this message again. You can have my notes just the way I shared them with you. They're on lifespringak.com. You can have them. And treat them like devotionals or something, you know. You can't hear this one time and get it all. You just can't do it. Now, let me ask you a question. It's very, very important for you to know God loves you. But you need to know your pastor and his wife loves you too. And we're praying for you. And I believe that we are heading in a good direction. You need to hear that. I believe we're heading in a good direction. And things are going to get better. Amen. Things on the outside are going to line up with what God's doing on the inside. Amen. You need, you need to hear this simple message. Stand up with me and I'll give you this simple message. All right. Child of God, hear me. Park these words in your heart. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I don't, I don't know how crazy the world's going to get, and I don't care anymore. What I care about is what God's doing in the church. And I just don't mean Life Spring Bible Church. I mean the body of Christ in this world. Amen? Father, I love you so very much, and these people love you. I want to thank you, Father, for putting us together. Thank you for allowing us all to be in the family. Thank you for allowing us to call you Father. Lord, you've been awfully gracious to us in your word, letting us see truths 
that all, aren't always so extremely obvious. Sometimes they're just below the surface and we need the help of your spirit for them to be drawn out and, and to touch our lives. But Father, we don't want to just be touched. We pray that this seed of your word today would be planted deep in the soil of our hearts and lives. Forgive us all of our sins and our shortcomings, Father. Help us to be cognizant that there is a book of life in heaven. And for us to end up in heaven when this is all said and done, our name needs to be in that book. Father, if there's anyone in this room today that has any concerns or doubts about that or they're afraid about the subject material, remind everyone, Father, by just a special little touch of your spirit that all they need to do is call out to you. In the name of Jesus, thank you for the death of your son on the cross. Thank you that he was buried, but thank you even more that he was resurrected. Thank you that he ascended to the, your right hand, Father, and he's making intercession for us right now. The first step in our relationship with you, Father, is just accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. We thank you for that, Father. It's that simple. It's a step. And then the relationship begins. And then from there, we need to allow the Word and the Spirit and you, Father, to build on that truth in our lives. Draw us closer and closer. Teach us. Mature us, Father. Cause us to be raised up to be mighty warriors in the body of Christ. Once again, Father, I want to thank you that you're with the people of this fellowship. When we leave today, I know that your Spirit will go with us. Enter each and every home, we pray in Jesus' name. May everyone who comes to our home sense the presence of your spirit in those homes, Father. Lord, I want to thank you for a great and mighty harvest of lost souls in this world. And we want to be a part of that, Father. We want to be tools in your hands, people of prayer, people that open their mouth and speak when we need to speak and say what we need to say, no matter what the outcome is, Father. Not everyone will accept the words of our mouth, but many will especially if we're being led of your spirit. Once again, go with us today. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Fellowship together before you leave this place today.